So for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book of Matthew. It's a really good book because it's, it's all about Jesus. And we've been reading stories, honestly, that a lot of us have been hearing for our whole lives. And we've been looking for two kind of different things as we're reading these stories. We've been looking for knowledge and we've been looking for help. So we've been looking for knowledge about who God is and his character and his plan, how we see him in Jesus. And then we've also been looking for help. We've been looking for instruction about how to live a great life that, that honors him. So it's, it's both. It's about knowing Jesus, and it's about following Jesus. So today, before we dig in too deep, I want to give you a quick disclaimer. Um, a huge part of what I'm teaching, especially in Matthew, I've learned from lots of different stuff that I've read and, and, and people that i followed and learned from, but especially one and I just want to tell you that so much of what I understand about biblical theology, especially the Old Testament stuff, especially the language stuff, I learned from one specific person. And I just want to make sure that he gets credit and honor that he deserves. His name is Tim Mackey. Uh, I've got a picture of him, I think, back there. He's a, a, just a Bible scholar and a teacher. He's the founder of the Bible Project. If you're not, if you're not looking at the Bible Project, you are, it's an amazing, amazing website, the Bible Project. Check it out when you get a chance. Um, but I just want to make sure that I give credit where credit is due. A lot of what I'm teaching you, I learned from him. And so, just, so I don't want to stop every five seconds and give him credit for something that I'm teaching. So I'll just tell you right now, general rule of thumb, okay? In this series and maybe in a lot of these series, um, anytime I say something that sounds really smart <laughs> or c profound or complex or something, that's, that's probably Tim talking. Right? And if I say something that sounds kind of dumb and simple, that's probably me talking. So that way you'll know um, kind of who you're listening to. So today we're looking at a famous story in Matthew chapter 4. It's about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And so last week we kind of left off. Isn't this fun going through Matthew? And it's like we, wherever we stop, we pick it up, right? And so last week we kind of left off with John the Baptist agreeing to baptize Jesus. And when he did, something really amazing happened. And so this is Matthew 3, 16. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. Look, it's important to kind of try to picture this really happened. This really happened. This isn't just words. Think of this, imagine being there and, and witnessing this thing, right? Jesus comes out of the water. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Can you even imagine watching that word from God, God's voice saying, this is my son. And then right after that, Matthew 4, 1, it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. You guys, you guys heard this story? You heard this one? So we'll, let's, Matt, let's leave that up for a minute because I want a couple of things real quick about this a scene that we've probably pictured in our head a million times. Um, who led Jesus to the wilderness? Who? The Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness. Now that he's in the wilderness, he's out in the desert, who, who, who's, who's with him? Who's, who's with Jesus? Yeah, the devil, right? The, the uh, El Diabolos, right? That's a scary sounding word. Um, the Satan, the Satan. Here's something I learned from Tim, actually. You know, Satan is not a proper name. Like, it's not like if I was in, I wouldn't like, Satan, this is Kevin. Kevin, this is Satan. Right? It's, not, it's not his name. It's, it's a title. It's a title, and it means something. It means the enemy. 
It means the adversary. It means the opposer, right? It's the one who's against us. And if I'm honest, we don't have a lot of information about him in the Bible. Um, we know he's against us, and we know that he hates humans made in God's image, and we know that he hates life. Jesus said that his whole purpose was to kill and steal and destroy. We know that he is, I think this is important, he's a created being, right? He's not, he's not a God. He's a created being. But it's like God is the personification of love and life and beauty and creativity and good. Satan is a personification of hate and destruction and death and evil. He's our, he's our enemy. And he wants us. He's the opposer. He wants us to fail. Um, who, who else was there? So Jesus is out in the desert. He's with Satan out there. Um, who else is there? Yeah, the spirit. Is, is Matthew there? Mark? Luke? Peter? Paul? Any of the authors? Just, just Jesus and Satan are out there. And what's, what's happening to Jesus out there? He's being tempted, and this is, this is really important. The, the Greek word that we get tempted from is the word parazzo. Let me hear you say parazzo. So most of our Bibles say that he was led there to be tempted, or maybe you're said he was led there to be tried, and that's, those, are, those are good translations. Some of the older translations, I think that are more literal, have a, maybe a better word, and it's the word tested. That he was, maybe he was brought there not so much to be tempted, as to be tested. I'll tell you that translating from Hebrew to Greek to English is complicated work, man. There's the, we talk about the semantic range, like a word can mean lots of things, right? Like what does home mean? Is it a place where you know, I'm gonna go when I'm older? Is it where I live? Is it where I score a run in baseball, right? Home means a lot of things. Is house and home the same? They mean the same thing, but they kinda don't. Right, because there's like little nuances of each word. When I say home versus house, home like is a little more specific. To me, a home is not just a building, right? A home is, home is where the heart is, right? Home is, means family and it means togetherness. It means it's a little bit different. And this word parazzo, like the word tempt is, is good, but it's a, it's a little too restricted because the word tempt has like a really specific meaning that parazzo doesn't have. So when we say tempt, is that, are, are you tempted to do good things or bad things? <laughs> You're tempted to do bad things. Like you, you wouldn't say, wow, I'm really tempted to have broiled fish and broccoli for dinner tonight, right? No, you should have broiled fish and broccoli. You're not tempted, yeah, I might be tempted to have birthday cake for dinner tonight, right? That's a temptation. You're tempted to do things that are bad. In English, the word tempt, like implies, it means that you're being like, um, like in, uh, in, enticed, to do something that's wrong, something that's bad. But parazzo is not specifically being tempted to do something wrong. It's just to be tested. It's to have the truth revealed about you. Um, the same word comes up later when the Pharisees ask Jesus. They're asking him about a bunch of scriptures, right? They're asking about the Torah, all the Old Testament questions. They're not trying to get him to do something wrong. They're testing him. They're trying to find out who he is. They're trying to find out what he knows. They're trying to find out what he believes. 
And it's the same like in school, when the teacher gives a test, that's parazzo, right? The, t- the teacher's not trying to, to, to cause you to do something evil, the teacher's just trying to reveal the truth about the student, right? Who they are, what they know, and uh, that's, that's, I'll give you a great, Joy just mentioned the message, paraphrase. Um, this, this is really good, this is in the message. This is Matthew 4, we just read this. It says, next Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. And the devil was there and ready to give it. It's a test. It's not so much, so much a temptation to do something wrong. It's, it's just a test to reveal who he is. Like the first thing, what was the first thing he was tested about doing? Turning rocks into bread. Is that a sin? No. It wasn't a, it wasn't a temptation to do something wrong as much as it was just a test to reveal who Jesus is and what he knows and what he believes about himself and what he believes about the Father and what he believes about their relationship. So, Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be parazzoed there by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. And during that time the devil came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. What did God just say at the baptism? This is my Son. This is my Son. If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So Matt, let's leave that up there just for a second. The real test here is not can Jesus turn rocks into bread or will he turn rocks into bread? The real test here is does Jesus know who he is? The real test here is does Jesus really believe what God said, that he's the son of God? And Jesus passes the test. And he does it by giving a hyperlink We've been talking a lot about this lately, but this is where something happens a lot of times in the New Testament and it remembers us back, right? It sends us back, it links us back to a passage in the Old Testament. So when Jesus says the scriptures say, he's referring us back to someplace else and it's supposed to stir up a lot of memories for us and, and understand what was going on back in the time that he's hyperlinking to. So um, let's, let's talk about this and see if you see the similarities, see if you know which scripture he's talking about when he says the scripture. It's kind of like what happened when the scriptures say, right, see if this sounds familiar to you. So here's Jesus, he's come up out of Egypt, he's escaped an evil ruler, Herod, who was killing all the baby boys, he's been baptized in the water, the father shows him who he is, he immediately leads him into the desert wilderness for 40 days. Does that sound familiar? Have we heard this story before? Right? It's a hyperlink, right? It's taking us back to another story. And if your Bible has footnotes and there's a little four beside that or something, if you look at the bottom of the page, it'll tell you where it's hyperlinking. It's taking us back to Deuteronomy 8. That's what those footnotes are. You should read them. So it, Jesus said this, man does not be by bread alone. Oh, there's a little number four there. Look at the bottom of the page. Number four says Deuteronomy 8. And so that makes us turn back there. So when Jesus says, the scriptures say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the word of the Father, The scripture he's referring to is hyperlinking us back to the story of another son of God who also came up out of Egypt and also escaped an evil ruler who was killing baby boys, who also went through the water and went into the desert and was tested for 40 years. Who was it? Yeah, Moses, it was Israel, right? It was was the whole nation of Israel. God, God called Israel his firstborn son. Israel was God's chosen people. They were, they were, he chose them. 
and they were supposed to be like the real humans, right? We blew it before. Now we're, humanity blew it, and now we're gonna take these people, and they're gonna be the real humans. They're created in God's image, and they're gonna represent God to the whole world, and they're gonna bring his salvation to the whole world around them. So how did Israel do with their test? Yeah, wah, wah, terrible, right? So, but before they go into the promised land, Moses kind of reminds them of the test that they went through in the wilderness. And this is what Jesus is linking us back to. He's showing us that Israel had a task. Israel had a test. Israel was called to do a thing, and they blew it. And now Jesus is doing the exact same task. He's been giving the exact same tests. So here's what he's referring back to. This is Deuteronomy 8.2. See if you see some little similarities, okay? Um, Deuteronomy 8.2. Remember, this is Moses talking to the people of Israel. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for how long? 40 years humbling you and testing you to prove your character and find out whether or not you would obey his, his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, which nobody ever heard of before. And he did this to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, by the way, they live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he goes on to say that God disciplines Israel like a father would discipline his son. Do you see any similarities there? Yeah, do you think that's an accident? Do you think that's a coincidence? No, it's, it's, what is it? it's a hyperlink. It's to show us that Jesus is passing the test that Israel failed, that he, he knows who he is. He is the new humanity that Israel was called to be but couldn't. He, he, he's everything Israel was supposed to be. He is God's holy priest. He is in God's image, he is God's son, and he's been sent by God to represent God to humanity and bring salvation to the world, and it starts, not on the cross, it starts with this test in the wilderness. Israel had the same test. Israel failed their test. Israel was supposed to see that life with the Father is more than just the stuff he provides. It's more than just bread and water, it's being with God. It's being his kids in his kingdom, hearing his actual word. And his word gives us purpose. And his word gives us calling. And his word gives us identity as his children. And it reminds us that you, know, you can survive. You can survive on just bread and water. But to really live, you need the presence of God. You need the word of God speaking his life into your life. Here's another interesting link. I'm obsessed with these links. Um, can you think of another time that God called a human, made in his image, to be the king of the world and to be God's representative to the world? And the tester came and twisted God's words and tempted that human to doubt God. <laughs> it's Adam, right? It's the same story. It's the same story. I think Matthew wants us to see that Jesus isn't just coming to do what Israel was called to do but couldn't. He's coming to be the human that Adam was supposed to be. Jesus was the only human who actually did what humans were created to do. He's the only one who really was God's image to the world, representing God to the world as his priest, as his firstborn. Jesus is what humanity was supposed to be. He's the first human to pass the test of Satan's temptation. And this test is being administered by this totally evil being 
the Satan, and he's, he's testing Jesus to see, not if he'll make bread and out of rocks, he's testing Jesus to see if Jesus knows who he really is. And that's why he says, if you are, God just got through saying he was God's, he was his son. And he says, if you are the dearly loved son of God, like, how do you explain your situation? Right, how come you're hungry? Right? Tim Mackey has a great line on this. He says, he's trying to undermine Jesus' identity by pointing out his circumstances. And that, you know, that tactic worked in Deuteronomy. That tactic worked with Israel, because when they did without bread, they, <laughs> they complained, right? And they said, well, I guess, I mean, we're not who we thought we were, because if we were God's kids, we wouldn't be living like this, right? If we were God's kids, I don't know, maybe we're not who we thought, maybe we're who we really are is Egyptian slaves. And they let Satan define them. They let, let Satan define their lives by their circumstances. They didn't have bread, so that must mean God doesn't love them. They must not be his kids. They failed the test. But Jesus passed the test. Because even when he was without bread, he knew who he was. He was who the word of the Father said he was. He was God's dearly loved son. So Satan, like, he's smart, right? He doesn't roll over. He doesn't give up. Satan just changes his strategy a little bit. He tried challenging Jesus. He tried to get Jesus to see himself, to define himself and his life by his bread, right, by his stuff. Now he's gonna challenge how Jesus sees the Father. Like, okay, you, you know who you are. Let's see, let's see how you see the Father. Let's see if you will doubt if the Father is really good and if he really loves you. If he loves you like a son, if he's a good father, he'll take care of you. So here it is, Matthew 4, 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said again, if you are the son of God, God just said he was, if you are the son of God, jump off. Because the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and he will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Anybody recognize that? Where does that come from? Psalm 91. That's exactly what it is. Satan is so good at being bad. He is just so smart. And he's just using the strategy that's worked for him in the past. He's doing what he's always done. He's, he's quoting God kinda, right? He's just really good at like twisting God's word just a little bit, right? Remember what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden? Did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden? Is that what God said? No, he said you could eat any of the fruit in the garden except for from this one tree. But when Satan comes with him, he takes God's words and he twists them, just a tiny little tweak. And he says, so God said you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden. That's exactly what he's, he's doing here. He's testing Jesus with the question, will my circumstances determine how I see the Father? It's like, if your dad is so great, right, let him prove it. Jump off this building, and we'll see if he loves you, and we'll see if he keeps his word, and we'll see if he can do anything about it. Satan is taking, taking what the word actually says and, and twisting it. That Psalm 91 is a beautiful poem about trusting God when things are hard. What it's really saying in that poem is that like, no matter what you go through, no matter what hard stuff you deal with, God is faithful and he'll protect you 
and he'll get you through it. What it's not is a promise that life will never be hard. That's not at all what it is. And what Satan is doing here, frankly, is preaching the prosperity gospel. He's saying if God is good and if God is God, then he's going to make your life amazing. He'll prove it to you by giving you the car or the money or the girl or, or whatever. And it's like, like, like God is your genie, right? Like God works for you. Like God has to prove himself to you. And this is a really sneaky, really gross distortion of a really beautiful scripture. Did Jesus buy it? Now, uh, Matthew 4, 7, Jesus said, scriptures also say, you will not test the Lord your God. And again, look at your footnotes and you'll see where it's linking us back to. It's back to Israel in Deuteronomy 6. This is where God's brought them out of Egypt. He's brought them out of slavery and he's rescued them and protected them and provided for them. But when their life gets hard because they don't like the food that they're eating, they start whining, they start complaining. You know, where is God? What was he thinking? He must not love us. Either that or he doesn't know what he's doing. Because if God is so great, if he loves us, if he loves us, then he'll make our lives better. And Moses interrupts in verse 16, and he says, you must not test the Lord your God. That's what Jesus is linking back to. To test God is to say, if God is so great and God loves me so much, he's gonna have to prove it by giving me a better life. So Jesus hyperlinks back to this story when Israel was tested and they failed the test to say, no, the father doesn't have to prove himself to me. That's not, that's not the way this relationship works. I trust his plan. I trust his plan for my life, even if I do hurt my foot on a stone, even if I do eat manna for the rest of my life, even if my life is taken from me. So Jesus is passing the test because number one, he refuses to be defined by his stuff. Whether he has bread or not, he has a word from God. He is God's dearly loved son. And number two, he refuses to define God or his goodness or his love or his plan by the circumstances of his own life. He will not test God. And he's not the first person to face these tests. He's not the last person to face these tests. Since the garden, Satan has come to help humans fail the test. That's, he's the opposer. That's what he does. He's the adversary. That's what he does. He's evil. That's what he does. He, he's come to humans since forever to try to get them to define themselves by the stuff that they don't have. He's come forever to get humans to define God by their circumstances. And it's really worked really good for him for thousands of years, but this human, Jesus, is passing the test. He's revealing the truth about who he is and what he knows. He knows who he is, and he knows who his father is. So here's Satan. He's running out of ideas, right? He tried, that. He tried getting Jesus to challenge, to see his identity through his stuff. He tried to get Jesus to see God and test God about his circumstances. So he's just gonna try like one last test. And so this is verse eight, Matthew 4, 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. 
So I guess he's given up on the, if you're the son of God trick, right? That didn't work. Um, he's given up on twisting scripture. <laughs> that didn't work. And so now it's just a flat out offer, right? Of the power and the glory and the stuff of this world. And here's where Satan really reveals who he really is. He is, he is, he is just pure evil. He wants what only God deserves. He wants to be worshiped. He is just here to do what he does, to oppose, right? He is just here to try to get Jesus to fail and to bring death and to bring separation from God. And you know, Satan reveals who he is and Jesus reveals who he is. He's God's son and he has complete power and he has complete authority and he knows who he's dealing with and he's done being nice. So in verse 10, because up until now it's been pretty cute, right? Satan has been saying, well, you know, the Bible says this. And Jesus has been going, well, yeah, but the Bible also says this, right? So it's been a pretty cordial conversation up to this point. But now in verse 10, Jesus says, get out of here. Get out of here. I think he was mad when he said that. I think there was some anger. And you get out of here, Satan. Because the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11 says, Jesus said, go away. Then the devil went away. And the angels came and took care of Jesus. Do you see the power? And do you see the authority that Jesus has over the devil? And Jesus said, get out. And the devil got out. And that authority is not derived from his stuff or the fact that he had bread or that he had a nice car, right? And it's not, it's, his, his authority is not derived from his circumstances, right? His authority, his power is derived from who he knows he is. He is who God says he is. He is the dearly loved son of the father. So this story, I mean, we've read it a million times, right? It's, to me, it's just full of just depth and nuance and, and, and amazing biblical theology, and, it's, and it, it's good news, right? Jesus passed the test. Finally, somebody, Jesus passed the test. He knew who the Father is, and he trusted his goodness, and he trusted his love regardless of the circumstances. And he knew who he was. He's the Messiah sent by the Father to be the humans that we were called to be and to help us become the humans that we were intended to be and to birth a whole new generation of human beings who can and do reflect the image of God. And that identity, his identity has nothing to do with bread or stuff or circumstances or worldly power. It has everything to do with the word of God. This is Jesus saying, I am who the Father says I am. That's how he passed the test. That's, that's like a cool story, right? Cool story? Yeah, and so I think the interesting part then is to try to think like, well, how does that apply to us, right? Because this is Jesus, he's good, right? It was 2,000 years ago, it was the other side of the planet. Um, how, does, how does that apply to our lives? And I think, it really, I think it really does apply. I think Jesus thought it really applies to our lives, and you know how I know? Who was in the wilderness with him? Was Matthew there? then how does Matthew know this story? There's only one way Matthew, Mark, and Luke all heard this story. Jesus told them. 
Why? Why did Jesus tell them this story? He went off by himself. Why does he come back and tell them this story? I think it's because he knew they were going to need it. I think he knew that if he was going to be tested, so were his followers. That if Satan was going to come after him to try to get him to question whether he was really the father's son, to try to get him to question the goodness and love of the father, if Jesus was going to be tested, so were his followers. And, you know, we are. Right? We're, we're tested and we're tempted to believe that we're not his children or that he doesn't love us, or that God is not good, or that God is not enough. And we're tempted to believe that we are defined by our circumstances, that if God really loves us as his children, if we really mattered to him, then we would have bread and clothes and a nice house and all the stuff in this world and our and all the love and attention and security and stuff that we want. And if we don't have those things, then we must not matter. And God can't be good, and we can't be his kids. So we're, we're tempted then to settle for the stuff and the power and the sin that this world offers. That, that's how the enemy tempted Jesus. I'll give you all the stuff you can see, right? Worship me, forget about God. I'll give you everything you can look at. And that's exactly the way he tempts us with these like cheap substitutes for what God really has for his children. But if Satan can convince us that we're not his children, that's when we start settling for these substitutes. So instead of God's word, he offers us bread and stuff and pleasure and power and position and popularity. Instead of real love, he offers us sex. Instead of fulfillment, he offers us success. Instead of peace and joy that lasts, he offers us a high from circumstances or fame or some other drug. Instead of contentment, he offers us possessions. Instead of acceptance and love, he offers us competition and hate for other people. So the actual things that we're tempted with, you know, stepping on people to succeed, trusting joy to give us, or trusting drugs to give us joy, um, promiscuity, stealing, greed, hating other people, those are just those are just symptoms of us failing the real test. Because when we think bread or success or stuff or sex or popularity defines us, that's, that's when we start sinning to make those things happen. So the question isn't so much, will I steal bread? Or will I lie to get ahead? Will I put people down to push myself up? Will I sleep around? Those are just symptoms. The real test question is, Will I define God by whether or not he passes my test and does what I want him to do? And will I define myself by my stuff and by my circumstances and even sin to get the stuff and circumstances that I'm tempted with? Or will I believe the word of God that regardless of my stuff or my circumstances, whether I'm rich or poor or loved or lonely or winning or losing, I am not what my circumstances say I am. I'm who the word of God says I am. I am his dearly loved child. And I don't need God to be my genie and prove himself and his love to me with a soft, healthy, wealthy, 
easy lifestyle because he already showed his love for me when he sent Jesus to die for me while I was still broken. And I don't need to steal or sin or settle for the stuff and the power and the circumstances that the devil's way offers to make me feel good about myself because I'm not defined by my circumstances or my stuff or bread alone. I'm defined by the word of the Father. And he says, I am his dearly loved child. And it's gonna happen. And when it happens, when evil tests us, and when Satan tempts us to believe something different, as God's child, in his authority, in the name of Jesus, we can say to him, you get out of here. Because I know who you are. And I know who my father is. And I know who I am. I'm not defined by those things. I'm defined by my father who loved me and created me in his own image. I'm defined by what Jesus did for me on the cross. Amen? So communion is where we remember who we are in Christ and how we got there. And worship is how we celebrate that and how we proclaim that and how we tell the world how amazing our Father is. And so I just want to invite you, if you like that, you'll love Wednesday night. Wednesday night at 6.30, we're going to have a night of worship in here. You can clap. Okay. Everybody claps when there's no preaching. I don't know. Go figure. Um, so, man, we would love to have you. It's not, it's not preaching, not taking up an offering. I mean, we're going to just come and worship Jesus. So if you can make it out, we'd love to have you join us at 630 this Wednesday. God bless you guys. Have a great week.